We're continuing this series together and just really looking at this whole concept and idea where the church is called to be together. That we have been in a, in a season, as a time, as a global community where it's become very individual. It's become very much isolated, where you live your life, your way, on your own. And God has created this, this community. In, in the Greek, it's called the ecclesia. It means the called out ones. Really, what it is, it's a, the ones who are called out from the world to follow Jesus and to gather as the church, to be together, to be for each other, with each other. David talked about in Psalm 133, he says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. We see that where people are together, and particularly the church together, God commands a blessing. That we receive a, a corporate blessing on the church as a people under the covering of Jesus and a part of his church. And we, that means that we, we celebrate together and we mourn together. You know, we, we experience joy and we experience sadness together. We're, we're with each other. When one falls, the other is to pick the other one up. That, that, that is a living community. That's a living organism. That is the, the church in operation. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, His church, and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. So there's power in togetherness. And we're looking at this concept in the book of Ephesians. If you've got your Bibles, love for you to turn with me there. We're going to, of course, the scripture will be on the screen. And we're, we're going through the Ephesians. It's in, in the New Testament. It's an epistle or a letter written by the Apostle Paul. And he's writing it to a, a group of people who are formed together as a church in Ephesus. Ephesus is now an ancient city, but it's in modern Turkey, just near Kusidasi. Got to visit it a couple of times. It's, it's, it was absolutely, it's beautiful now, but it was beautiful in its day. It was really an epicenter of culture and, and art and, and wealth and trade. And, and here we see that this small church was, was started by Paul. And then he's writing to the church in Ephesus from a Roman prison as he was imprisoned for preaching the gospel. And he's, he's writing to them to... Firstly, share with them the blessings that we can receive as Christians and also the gospel that we've been saved from, what we've been saved from and what we've been saved for, and then also how we're to live together and live out together as a church. And so we've been going through each verse from chapter one, and we're now chapter two, verses eight through 10. That's what we're going to look at today. And these is just three short scriptures but three of the most powerful scriptures that you can read in the Bible. There are three of the most popular scriptures and most quoted scriptures that you will hear today. And he begins in verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. I love that. It's not a gift of God. It's the gift of God. It's God's gift to you, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I want to speak to you on the title today, Saved by Grace, Created for a Purpose. 
We've been saved by grace, and we've been created for purpose. Verse 10 in the New Living Translation says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew, like as a new people, as a new man, a woman, a new creation in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are God's masterpiece, that he has made us, he has created us to do good, to do good things, to do great things, to do good things for God, to put our hands at work, to, to, to know that, that what I do matters, that what I'm a part of matters, that, that who I am and the, where I walk and the people I touch and I engage with, that this all matters. And open arms, we believe this. God has given each and every one of us a specific, unique purpose. God has given you a purpose. God has given you a purpose according to the personality, the gifting, and the talent in which he has created that is just specific to you, that is just for you, that cannot be replicated, replaced, or can somehow be copied and pasted to someone else. It is your purpose that God has created you for. And I really want to encourage you today that you will just leave here knowing who he has created you to be and what he has created you to do, that you would know that I am saved by grace and I've been created for purpose. And God, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you that you've created us. I want to thank you that you've called us together today to hear your word. And I pray that you would encourage each and every one of us to know that you've created us for purpose. That you may lift us out of the place where we're feeling maybe in a place feeling dark, feeling down, feeling alone, feeling hopeless. Well, God, today that you would just lift up our spirit that you would breathe fresh life into us, that you give us creativity, that you give us eyes to see, that you give us an awareness to know that you've created us for a purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, this scripture it is just three small verses packed with so much good and truth and goodness. And, and it's really important, firstly, to know and to comprehend those very first words as we've seen that in chapter 2, verse 8, that we have been saved by grace. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's how we receive salvation. That is the essence of the gospel. It is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Verse 9 says, it's not by works so that no one can boast. In the last few weeks, we've been looking at this, that it's not about what you do. It's all about what he has done. We sinned. Jesus saved us. We failed. Jesus rescued us. We deserve to die. Jesus gave his life for us so that we may live. It is by his grace. And there's two categories of salvation in the world today. You just say the word salvation which is, can be defined as freedom, redemption, or rescue, or to be delivered. Salvation can be defined in two categories in the world today. Firstly, is salvation by works. You know, the majority, if not nearly all religions in the world today, teach this. That according to your works, you will get. That, that if you do good works, if you are a good person, and if you do good things, and if you live a good life, then you will get to heaven. Then you will become reincarnate. 
then you will experience karma where you'll get good things and you'll experience the good that you were given. Now, is there elements of truth to those things? Yes, there is elements of truth to those things. You reap what you sow. You, you oftentimes experience what you have given to others. And Jesus has talked about that in the Gospels. But it does not come in any way connection to salvation. Salvation by works is to say that if I, if I live with this belief that I'm a good person and I do good things, I'm going to experience good things. Salvation by works, but the true salvation that we receive only through Jesus Christ, and what Paul is saying here, is salvation by grace, by grace alone. Christianity is the only faith that teaches that you cannot be saved by your works. It's the only faith. It is the only religion. You list out all of the religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Catholicism, the Jewish religion, all based on works, salvation by works. Christianity is the only one of salvation by grace. In fact, Paul goes as far to say, it doesn't matter about your works at all, in any way. It's about the works of Christ. It's through the work of the cross that we are saved. It's through what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross that matters most. And it says this very interesting, verse 8, for as by grace you have been saved through faith. This is also really important. It is not your faith that saves you. It is the faith that you have in Jesus that saves you. Faith is just a conduit. Faith is just something that it's through that you receive salvation. I have, my faith is in Jesus. Some people say my faith is great, my faith is not so great. My faith is high or low or big or small. It doesn't matter. You can have faith as small as a mustard seed, but if you place that same faith in a great God, you will experience great things. It, it's, it's the one in which you place your faith in that matters, not the faith that you have. It's through faith that we receive salvation. That means that my life can be in disarray. I don't have my whole theology sorted out. I haven't got everything sorted out. You know, me as a person, as a human, as a father, as a husband, whatever, my career, so much disarray, so much disorientation, but I have faith in Jesus Christ. That's all I need. It's through faith in Jesus that we receive salvation. Now, what are we saved from? This is really important. Laying the foundation for the second part of the sermon. Saved by grace, created for purpose. What happens so often in, in the church world, Christianity, we get really excited by created for purpose. We get so excited by, by, by we live and we get inspired, but we forget the foundation of our salvation. And what happens when we miss this part, we'll go about you know, discovering ourselves and what God has called me to do. And we learn all the, you know, the great scriptures and we declare them over our lives. But this roadblock keeps coming up time and time again. Our sin. Unforgiveness. Reminding us of who we were. This is really important that we first believe that we've been saved by grace. And firstly, what we've been saved from is our past sin. That Christ died once for all. The blood that was shed on the cross is the same blood that wipes away my sin and your sin. It's the same blood that wiped away the sin of those 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years later. It was once for all. Verses um, 
chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, we've, we've looked at this. Paul, he's outlining what, what we were like in our sin before salvation, what we were like before Jesus. And, and he says in verse 1 that we were dead and we were in sin. In verse 2, it says that we followed the ways of the world, that we were disobedient. We disobeyed God. Verses 3 says that we gratified the cravings of our flesh. We followed the desires of our heart and our body and our mind. We were by nature deserving of wrath. That means that we deserve to die because of our sin. We deserve to be punished because of our sin. But verse 4 and 5, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ that even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Once we place our faith, through faith in Jesus, we are forgiven of our past sin. It is as if we never sinned. We need to be reminded of that today. My sin has passed. It's gone. He's forgiven us of our past sin. He's forgiven us of our present sin. Verse 6 says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We are with him. We are now together in Jesus. It says, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus removes the power of sin in our present. He removes the power of sin in our lives. It's through the Holy Spirit, when we live according to the Holy Spirit, that we can resist temptation, that we cannot give in to sin, that we can remove the power of sin in our life. Does that mean we will never sin? No. Will we continue to sin? 100%. Without fault or failure. You will sin. You know, if you try and live it not, you know, this is it. I'm not going to sin anymore. This is it from day one. I'm going to start. You probably already sinned because you already start with pride. You know, thinking that you're not going to sin. You know, our goal is not perfection. Our goal is progress. To be made in the image and likeness of Jesus. To become more and more like Jesus. There's a difference here. And this is just important. Habitual sin, intentional sin, is giving sin back its power. It's giving power to our sin. When I continuously do it, and I keep going back to it, and I keep giving into it, and I'm allowing that in my life, what am I doing? I'm allowing sin a foothold in my life. But when I break off that habitual sin, when I break, doesn't mean that I'm perfect, I'm in development and I'm working and I'm getting bigger, but be, better. But, but it means when I'm going to live intentionally, removing the power of my sin, living by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus removes the power of sin in our present. He's forgiven us of our past sin, our present sin, and our future sin. Verse 7 says, In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God is rich in his grace. His grace will not run out. His kindness is everlasting. He is, he's got enough grace to cover a lifetime of sin. Will, will you continue sin? 100%. But yet, even in spite of the confirmation that you will sin, he's still forgiven you. Even when you were dead in your sin, he loved you, he saved you by his grace, and even with the knowledge that you will continue to sin, 
He loves you, and he saved you by his grace. That means that we need to, of course, continue repentance, keep coming back to him, confessing my sins, say, God, I'm sorry. This is what I've done. This is what I'm thinking. This is the, the shame, the guilt that I'm carrying. Help this. I give this to you. Continuously doing that, but at the same time, having the knowledge and the belief, I'm a sinner. I'll mess up. I'll fail, but yet I'm saved. I, I, I have been saved. I am saved, and I'll forever be saved. This is really important for our knowledge and our belief as Christians, just as foundational, that we would know that I have been saved by grace. And here's the second thing, I've been created for purpose. In verse 9 and 10, it says, not by works, salvation is not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Here's the first thing. It's not by our works. It's by his works. Our works is the result of the work that he's accomplished for us on the cross. But I love this imagery and this picture. You can see it's not by our works, for we are God's handiwork. We are his masterpiece, and he's created us to do good works. He's created us to do good things. He's created you and he's given you the hands and feet and the knowledge and the intuition and the intelligence that he has given you to put that to good work, to use it for his glory, to be able to do with what you have and to use it to the full capabilities that he has given you. You know, which is really important in our understanding of this idea of works because works is important. We see the picture of the cross. I receive the love of God through Jesus Christ. I become a son of God, a daughter of God. Through Jesus, I receive that freely. There's nothing I've done. There's nothing I could do. I receive the grace and love of Jesus, of, of God through Jesus Christ. But I live my life to reach out to others, to bring that same love to the world around me. I won't gain any more love from God if I become the greatest person on earth. I won't receive any less from God if I never do a tap and I never do anything great for God. His love is unconditional. You hear me? His salvation is unconditional. It's unconditional. There is, your works will not impact your salvation or your love from God. But how you live your life will impact those around you. This is really important of our knowledge. And verse 10 again says... In the New Living Translation, I love it this way. It says, we are God's masterpiece. Discovering and understanding our purpose first begins with us seeing ourselves how God sees us. He sees us as his masterpiece. He sees us as he, as he loves us, as he created us. In verse two, chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, it says, because of his great love for us, God's rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. He chose you. He saved you. Because he loves you. And what happens in our lives, and I experience this on a daily basis. I'm sure you experience the same thing. I live my life, you know, on this journey, on this path, experiencing who God has called me to be and trying to improve and progress. But yet, almost with this rear view mirror, looking back on who I was. Anyone else ever do that? Looking back at all my faults and all my failures. And so often, 
I struggle to look forward because I'm looking through the lens of my limitations. I'm looking through the lens of my weaknesses, of who I was. And God wants us to be able to receive the forgiveness of our past, to stop looking back and to start looking forward. I've been called by Jesus Christ. He's given me a hope and a future. Yes, I've messed up in the past, but greater days are still ahead. I believe that I am his masterpiece. I am his handiwork. He has created me to do good things. He's created me to do good works. And the voice in our head, the narrative is completely contrary to this. But we need to tune out that narrative. We need to see ourselves how God sees us. And then we need to surround ourselves in community that others will be able to speak into our lives how they see us. This is really crucial. This is God has not created us as to be lonely men and women walking this earth trying to somehow find from a guru or a mentor or a book or a course or a podcast trying to discover who I am. No, he's given us Jesus Christ first and foremost and he's given us the church, relationship, community for you to speak into other people's lives and other people to speak into your life. To see the good things in you. To see the beauty in you. To see what God could do through you. This is not the end. The circumstance you're facing right now will not define you. What you're you're going through right now, you will get through it. That encouragement, that hope, that speaking, that building it up, it builds you up, doesn't it? And here's the thing. God's given you a voice to use to speak greatness into other people's lives. To speak that greatness. Say, why not? It is possible. Let's go for it. Let's try for it. If, if we fail, we fail. It, that's why he's given us his church to speak into other lives and other lives to speak into us. If you're not experiencing that, I really challenge you to start experiencing that. To spark up a conversation. Start a relationship. That's why we have tea and coffee at the back each week. Why? Because we're trying to create that that community. Get to know one another. That's why we talk about the connect area and the connect card and next steps. Why? Because we're trying to create connections so that we become a part of the church. That's why we say, hey, serve on welcome or production or kids or worship or whatever it is. Why? Not because we need more people. It's because we want to create community. We want to create a church that knows it's for each other. I'm with you. When you're there, I'm going to build you up. How many times I've spoken to Alan. He said, Sean, you know, he's given me encouragement or he's given me hope or he's spoken in my life. And how many times I've had to do the same thing for him. We cannot live this life on our own. He's created us to do good things. When you look at your life, you may see a mess. God sees a masterpiece. He's created you for purpose, formed every part of you. He sees greatness inside of you. He looks at your life, says, I can do more with you than you've ever experienced before. Isn't that exciting? Regardless of your age, regardless of your education, regardless of your experience, he says, I can do more with you. And I can do more for you. Is it going to be easy? Never easy. But is it going to be possible? It's always possible. If we were to be honest, we, we live our lives, as I said, just so distracted by our faults and failures. So caught up in the mistakes. So caught up in what we've messed up in. 
We also face an adversary, an enemy, who reminds us of, of those things. We face an enemy who constantly will peddle those thoughts and those lies and that narrative of what we can't do and what's not possible and what we have done and what we, where we have failed. The devil's goal is to prevent us from discovering our purpose, discovering our calling, and fulfill, fulfilling that calling. How does he do this? Well, he uses things in our life, uses tragedy and suffering, loss and pain. He uses these things to just to forfeit us or cause us to give up or to, to remove ourselves or disqualify ourselves from where we believe that God was calling us. But here's actually the one that many of us miss out on, and I believe that he uses more successfully than anything else. He uses opportunity. He uses wealth and money. He uses promotion and career. He, he uses other relationships. He, he uses distractions. He, he uses those things in our life that just takes our attention away. And the years go by and we just haven't realized this. But he's completely diverted us from following after the path and the purpose in which God has called us to. We need to be aware of this. It's not to, to scare us. Sir. We may have come to a place, and you may even feel as I've gone so off track. There's no way I can make it back. You can always make it back. You can always turn around. You can always start today. God can always redeem it. God can always change it. The word repentance means to turn 180. That's what it means. Repentance is to turn away. I'm turning away from my sin and I'm turning towards Jesus Christ. I'm turning away from this path and I'm going back the path that God has intended for me. That we know and believe that, that he's given you a purpose and you may feel so off track but knowing God sees you as his masterpiece. He's called you for greater things. Now as we come to that place and you may be at this place right now Okay, I know it. I've heard it. I've been inspired. I believe that I've been created for purpose. Now, what do I do with that? You ever been at that place? You know, what, what do I do with that? How, how do I live this out? How, how do I walk this out? How do I discover the good works that God has prepared in advance for me to do? How do I discover what he, what he has made me for? And here's what I believe is the answer. Understanding how we were made helps us discover what we were made to do. Understanding how we were made helps us discover what we were made to do. It's in our design that we find our identity. It's in our design that we find our destiny. It's in looking at who God has created us to be. Right now, not to, to become, but to be. Who he has created me, who he has created you to be. Let me explain this and just delve this out a little bit further. In verse 10, it says, you are God's handiwork. One translation says his workmanship, his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. I, I believe that this 
philosophy, you may say, and this thinking and a way of thinking com completely transform our, our lives. Because we can accept that message of God's given me a purpose and he's created me for purpose and we live our every day almost trying to like find that purpose and receive that fulfillment. But what's interesting in this scripture, when you, when you dive into it and you look at it, it says that I've been created to do good works which God prepared in advance for me to do. That means that God didn't create you and think, I wonder what I'm going to get them to do. God didn't, you know, create you and put you on this earth and then think, I wonder what they're going to accomplish. God prepared in advance what he was going to create you to do, and then he created you. Understanding how we were made helps us to discover what we were made to do. Looking at our lives, looking at who God has created me to be, because how many times have we almost like given out to God, at times maybe even cursed God? God, why did you make me this way? Has anyone ever said that? You don't have to put your hand up. But God, why did you make me this way? Why did you place me in this family? Why did you give me this certain education or lack of socioeconomic opportunity? God, why did you make me this ethnicity? Why did you make me this tall or short? Why did you make me with this particular personality? Why can't I be more like? We all have those thoughts. And God is like, I created you to be you so that you could do what I have prepared in advance for you to do. If we would just finally surrender and accept, this is who I am, and this is who God has created me to be, we might finally be able to discover what he has created me for. As we look at our personality and our gifts and our traits, as we look at who we were and, you know, who we are and, you know, where we've come from and our family history and what has brought us to this place and know, God, this is who God's called me to be. Okay, what has he created me for? What has he created me to do? And then to search, and what I believe is so important is education and reading books and listening to podcasts and having mentors, all those things from that place of my identity is secure in Christ. I know who I am. Not trying to find those things. And if I could just become that, find out what I'm supposed to do on this earth. And if I could just get to that place. And if I could just, you know, finally just get that job or the position or be the mother or be the, the, the house owner or whatever it is, rather than no. This is who God's going to created me to be. I know what I'm called to do. We need to come to that place of security. And how do we do this? How do we see ourselves how God sees us? How do we turn off the narrative that the enemy has got in our mind and the lies and the constant, you know, even where that's backed up by the world today and the modern societal thinking that, that you need to become and you need to do more and you need to whatever it is and you need to have this and this and you can become this person or that person. How do I actually discover the purpose? The answer is this. We discover our purpose through our design by getting close to the one who designed us. By getting close to the one who created us. And that's the good news of Jesus. It's been given to us as 
the gift of God through his Holy Spirit. He's there to ask the questions. Listen to this in one, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, 11, or 11 and 12 in the message translation. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. Colossians 1.16 says, For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. Jesus is the answer. It's in him who we find out who we are and what we're living for. It's in him that everything has been created, everything that's from him, everything in everyone is found in him. And here's the, here's the good news. You are in the best place now to get closer to Jesus than ever before. You are in the best place. You are closer to the one who has designed you than ever before. It's in Jesus that we receive the answers. It's in Jesus that we discover who we are. It's in Jesus a very practical level. Look, for me, I, I've, and I, I believe that it's constant. I don't believe that we come to a place where we almost receive the answer and that's it. Next 30 years, we walk that out. It's a constant thing. It's a continually changing. For me, as I come to a place where I feel like I've hit a wall or hit a lid and I'm just like, who am I? You know, what am I called to do? Because sometimes it's seasonal. It's for a season. And I come to Jesus in my quiet time and I ask him. I take out my journal and I ask him and I pause and I listen and I write down what he senses me saying. Jesus is there to access as a source to discover our design, which will help us to discover our purpose. And here's the final part as I'll finish once we discover our purpose, well, we need to walk out our purpose. We need to walk it out. We need to live it out. To start doing the good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. 1 Peter verse 4 and 10. God has given gifts to each of you from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Manage them so well well, so that God's generosity can flow through you. God can make you to be a part of making a difference in someone else's life. Isn't that encouraging? His generosity can flow through me. And here's, here's just what is really important. I feel to say this just as a pastor and as a leader. It's not just within the church. It's in your everyday lives. It's practically. Practical is sometimes as powerful as spiritual. That, that he has called you in your practical everyday lives and whatever that looks like in the, in the job that you do. That you may feel at times mundane, monotonous. Is, is it actually making a difference? It's making a difference. It's making a difference in your life. It's making a difference in the life that you, the lives that you love, and it's making a difference in the people that you touch around you. So embrace it, live it out. We've got our, our practical gifts, our, our, you know, what we 
the personality, our makeup, everything that's formed. And we've also got spiritual gifts, each and every one of us. And there's a list, and we read through scripture, we have a list of, of various gifts, whether of exhortation, which is to be an encourager, or of, of helps, which is to, you know, to, I do things for people. I'm not really good at words, but I'm good at works. Or it's someone who's like, I'm good at being the person who, uh, you know, plays the guitar or speaks on a mic or is there within my workplace and I'm a leader and I'm a vocal point and I'm one that other people come to or it's someone, you know what, I'm someone who I work in the details, I work in the background, you'll never hear my name, you'll never hear my voice, but I'm there. It's discovering both the practical gifts and the spiritual gifts and I believe that it's important to live them out in our everyday lives but also in the church, as a part of the church. I was thinking about this and probably going to embarrass this person. I, I didn't even ask him to kind of say this, but I'm still going to say it. But I was speaking to a, a young man yesterday evening as we had a group of people come last night, volunteers, to come and to serve and set up this whole place because we were struggling. We, we couldn't do it on Sunday morning. These guys and girls who had given off their, their full-time work and come and be a part of this. And I was talking to, to one young man and... Um, you know, getting to know him a little bit. And I said, you know, what is it that you do? And he said, I'm an ICU nurse. I said, wow, ICU nurse. That's incredible. What a job. Bowman Hospital. And I said, what, what's that like? And share me a little bit about what's that like. And, and I said, you know, you won't notice, but I actually experienced through my son who had open heart surgery two years ago, and I'd never been in an ICU. And there we were at our most vulnerable time uh, with our son and with each other. And I watched the nurse, my goodness, full focus, like diligent, kind. Like they, that is their only focus to keep that man, woman, boy or girl alive, to keep them going. Like, and I said, you probably can't just switch off, can you? You probably can't chill. <laughs> you know, you probably can't, I'm going to wing this day today. You know, you're, you're on and you're on. And I said, what, what do you want to do? Well, also at the same time, working in the details, set up, help out, whatever it is to have to do. But living out as much of a, wow, what incredible calling. Living that out as an ICU nurse. What a, you tell me that that's not a spiritual gift? You tell me that that is not doing great things for God. Like, that is impacting people's lives. I was like, that's powerful. Just as much as setting up for church on Sunday so other people can experience Jesus. Now, what God has called you to do, what you're doing during the week, it matters. It's making a difference. I just want to really encourage you in it. I give you that, that confidence and that hope. What you are doing matters. And maybe you're at the place where you, you feel like I'm not doing what God has called me to do. Change it. Maybe you're at this conclusion, Sean, I just don't know what it is I'm going to do or have to do or call to do. And here's my encouragement to you, my final thing I'm going to say to you. Just do something. Just do something. Anything. Help someone. Be a part of something. Create something. Speak to someone. Encourage someone. Whatever it is, just do something because that something may lead to the thing that God has called you to do. That someone may lead you to the one who he's called you to impact. That thing that you may feel is, you know, just, uh, just 
inconsequential in the, in the you know, impact of, of life and the way life is. But yet, that small thing may lead to big things, may lead to great things. Just do something. Be a part of something. Give something. Live your life every single day, living it out of the place that I get to live. I get to do. I get to serve. I get to give. I may not be doing what I want and I know what I'm called to, but I'm doing something. I'm doing something. Hey, why don't we just close our eyes and bow our heads for a moment. I really hope that this has encouraged you, that you know and would experience the good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do, that you know that he saved you by his grace. He's created you for his purpose. Know that what you do matters. Therefore, that you would seize each, each moment in this life that you get to live, seize it with intentionality, with that purpose. As you have that infant at home and feeling just missing out on social life and missing out and everything going on, this is the gift that God's given you. And you're going to do this at the best of your ability. If you feel like this course or the studies that I'm supposed to be doing right now, and I just feel like, a, you know, it's kind of eating up my whole life, but I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. I feel like this, this job, that what I'm doing, and it feels like at times that I'm underappreciated and undervalued, but you know what? I'm going to change my attitude. I say, thank you, God, that you've given me this. I'm going to be diligent. I'm going to steward it, believing that you're going to bring greater things into my life. Living with that belief and the awareness. He's created you in Christ to do good works, which you've prepared in advance for you to do. Why don't you just take a moment in this time of just stillness and solitude. Firstly, thank God for who he's created you to be. Next, why don't you ask him, what have you created me to do? Maybe there's a thing you need to add to that. What have you created me to do now? In this time, in this season. It may not be for the rest of my life, but it's, it's now. What have you created me to do? Who have you surrounded me with to impact, to encourage? Where are you calling me to serve, to give of myself, to stretch beyond myself? How have you called me to think, to think greater, to think bigger, to think what if it may be possible if I would just believe? And Lord, I just pray for each one of us. I pray that you would give us that boldness and that confidence. It's easy to have it when life is going well and everything that we've desired is in front of us. It's incredibly difficult to do when we don't yet see it. But yet, God, would you give us the faith in a great, great God to view you greater than what we're facing. We ask this in Jesus' name.